But what we want to do today, our theme is back to life, right? We, we want to celebrate that Jesus is back to life. And because he's back to life, we can be back to life. And so what we're going to do for most of the service today is we're going to intermix testimonies and continuing to worship God. And so we're going to do a testimony, and then we're going to worship some more. We're going to do a testimony, we're going to worship some more. And uh, we're just going to let the Holy Spirit lead as we do that. And uh, we just want to give all the glory to Him. My wife just elbowed me there during the first song. She's like, stop singing, save your voice. <laughs> and I was like, I can't help it. I love to sing worship. So then I just started lip syncing. So, <laughs> hallelujah. All right, well, we're going to do our, our first back-to-life testimony. I've asked people to share what does it mean to you that Jesus has brought you back to life. And this first couple, they both have great testimonies individually, but also what it meant for them to come together in marriage. And so I'd like to invite Antonio and Christelle to come and share testimony this morning. Hi, everyone. Good morning. We're the Popes. Um, I wasn't ready. I was like out there and I'm like, oh, that's my name. I think I, I think I have to go up now. Um, so when we were asked to share about resurrection life and being transformed, um, I think every time I'm able to stand up here and help MC service, I try to share a little bit my, about my life. But I just want to do a quick condensed version. Um, I'm so grateful for this church and my husband. So, <laughs> yes, yes, amen. <laughs> um, about 12 years ago, I was born and raised here on the island of Kauai. My family has deep roots here. My grandmother, um, she um, attended this church for a really long time. Um, the first time I came to this church was actually to attend my grandfather's funeral service. Um, 10 years ago, even though I was uh, brought up in a family that knew God and I knew God, there's a lot of things that happened in my life as a child, as a teenager. Um, I survived a lot of abuse as a child. Um, and my family went through a lot of um, things as a teenager. I was really rebellious. Um, I was in the foster system. Um, I was on probation until I was 18 years old. Um, because of what happened in my life as a child, um, I forgot a lot about my foundation and my upbringing. Um, but I had amazing people in my life that continue to pray for me, right? Like, you never know what your prayers are going to do and what they're going to manifest into one day. My grandparents poured into me. Um, I, I, they always, like, I would go to Sunday school and everything, but I did not have that relationship. Um, and it wasn't until I was in the throes of addiction. I was in the throes of, like, living the worst possible kind of life. Um, I tried to run. I tried to run so far away from him. And I thought that all of the decisions that I was making and the life that I was living there was no hope for me, you know? And I was like, I can't go back to church. I can't go back to God. Even though I knew him as a child. Um, and 
12 years ago, I was in the most abusive relationship ever in the midst of just living the craziest life ever. I have friends that are no longer alive. People who are still locked up and in jail. Some of my friends are still battling addiction. Um, and I was in the most abusive relationship. And uh, I remember my mom and my sister and my grandma, they would call me all the time and they would continue to pray over me and speak into my life. And in a matter of two weeks, I moved from California and came back here to Kauai. My grandmother was going to this church and uh, I remember I was living in Wailua homesteads and I didn't have a car, nothing. I was sleeping on the floor of my mom's like closet room, you know, surrounded by my mom's many clothes. Um, but uh, I used to take my dad's truck and I would drive out here every Sunday to come to church. And I remember like one of the first times just sitting there and just feeling the love of the Holy Spirit so much like during worship that I was like crying and I felt like I was drowning in my tears. Like I was so like soaking wet, like I couldn't understand. And my grandma kept telling me, you know, it's the Holy Spirit. And that was just the beginning of me starting to find my relationship with Christ. Because I tell you, that's the difference. That is the difference. It's that personal relationship that you create and you have with him. And slowly but surely, my life started to change. And I changed my friends that I had. I changed the music that I started to listen to. I just, I just started to have this amazing relationship with God. Um, my grandma always says, you know, Tali, you used to have so many boyfriends. Like I could never count like who you were with. And it was because I was looking for the wrong kind of love, the wrong kind of acceptance. I was looking for it in all the wrong places. And once I started to live this new life, um, I remember <laughs> this guy, and I was like, if you told me that I was going to marry this one, I would be like, no ways. We're not even, no way I was not going to marry him. But this was God's, this really was God's divine intervention. <laughs> We're like perfect for each other. Like, people that know us. Anyways, I was already starting to go to church, and we, it was Facebook. I posted a picture of the beach, and he commented on it. He was like, oh, great situation. I was like, oh, don't talk to him. Don't talk to him right now. You don't want to live that life. We started talking, and our first, like, date, all we did was, like, talk the whole time, and I'm like, what's going on? Like, I wasn't looking for this. And I remember having a conversation with him, and I said, you know, I'm living a totally different kind of life. And the person that you knew, like, a long time ago when we were friends, I'm not that person anymore. Like, and, he's, and I said, I go to church now. <laughs> he said, man, what made me love him, I don't know why I'm getting emotional, was he said, can I come to church with you? <laughs> and, and I remember Eli was like, Gosh, he was like six. He was like a little tiny baby. And I remember one of the first times, like, he's still a tiny baby, even though he thinks he's grown. Um, <clears throat> I know. Sorry, kid. We're going to do it to you all your life and embarrass you forever. Um, and I remember the first time that he, like, brought me around the kids and we started dating, right? We started dating November 7th. That was my grandfather's... Um, my grandfather Bob, that was his birthday. I had it's so weird how things happen like that. But um 
and he's all, yeah, it's crazy, the dates, but we started dating in November. I remember the first time he brought me around to, re to meet the kids, and I was just, I cried because I have two grown daughters, but because of the decisions I made when I was younger, um, they were taken away from me. And I've reconciled that relationship. Like, God is so good. You have no idea. Like, today, I told my daughters, happy Easter. They were like, happy Easter, mom. My oldest said and responded with, he is risen. Yeah. It makes me cry because God is so good. Like, um, I had no idea that I was going to kind of have, like, a second chance, even though it was crazy rocky like I didn't know I was gonna help to mother like three boys my god boys they're so different and um just have this relationship in my life where my husband is so amazing <laughs> like my grandma always tells me she's like you got a good one and I was like yeah grams I know because God gave him to me um we started dating in November we got married in March so it was like a span of like three months like it was like people thought that I was pregnant so they were like they're like what is going on are you guys doing drugs are you guys like what are you guys partying what's you know what's happening um what is going on and all I can say is that it was it was Jesus um he's the reason for everything um the life that me and my husband live now it's just I mean and I'm gonna let him talk I promise I will <laughs> even though I'm the talker I'm the talker of the relationship. Um, it's pretty amazing. Like, we sit down together, and sometimes when we got married at Polihali on the beach, yeah, yeah, it was beautiful. Um, we sit down, and we look at each other, and it's just like we're so thankful to God because we've been through a lot. Um, We've, we've, we've gone through cancer together. You see this beautiful flowing locks of curly hair? Yeah. I was bald. I was bald at one time. I was like, but, you know, I was like just telling someone earlier, I said, um, better be careful what you ask for because I always wanted curly hair. And I said, look at it now. I was like, God will give it to you. But um, sometimes you'll go through some trials and some tribulations and stuff. But to continue to stay faithful, um, He's just continuing to bless us. Um, we have a granddaughter. Um, we have a son, a, a daughter-in-law. Like our oldest, Liko, he's married with a daughter that's going to come see us in June. She, she's going to be six months. You guys are all going to see the baby. Um, Milo's doing amazing. He just sent his dad like a picture of him on a roller coaster in SeaWorld. Um, he's a Marine, you know, and we got this... This one right here, he's got the best season right now in volleyball. They're like winning everything. Um, so God is just amazing. I just, we just keep living in his blessings. And I just, you know, he's taking us from where we were. And my family, like, I just, now my heart is just to share with everyone and to continue to bring everybody with us. Um, the harvest is many, but the workers are few. So let's bring them all with us. Continue to lift up your family. Like if no one was praying for me and if they lost hope in me and looked at me, like everyone said, like, there's no hope for you, Christelle. Like no one's, 
No one cares about you. I felt that way. But there was people praying for me and believing that he was going to resurrect my life. And he has. He has. He's taken me from the bottom and the depths of what I could have been. And he has just created something new and transformed me. Honey, do you have anything to say? Because I'm just going to keep going. <laughs> What a what a tough act to follow. Um, if if she wasn't gonna, because if you don't know, we we're also sick, and she's been down and out for a few, a few days. She's back too. <laughs> but if she wasn't here to speak, I probably would have maybe give you the history of um, sugar cane in Hawaii or something. Because <laughs> I don't think I could speak for eight minutes. So thank God my wife is here for sure. So um, yeah, I mean, um, my story in the beginning was. So I was in a marriage that was very dark. Um, I'm an adulterer. Um, I was a drug addict. I was on ice. I was in a, a very bad relationship. I had, out of that relationship, I had three beautiful boys. And that was really what kept me going through it all. And um, yeah, and, and it was dark. It was, I didn't think I was ever going to do anything other than be a drug addict and and try to raise three boys with a with uh, my ex-wife, which was also a drug addict, and we were both in dark times. <clears throat> and then um, she she said it so beautifully. Uh, we we met, we talked a lot on our first date, and you know, and uh, came up that we should go to church. And for me, church has never been. Um, part of my family's life I have never I was never raised in a church but my mom was a Christian or yeah she passed so she was a Christian but she sent me to um Kahili Adventist school so I got I had Jesus in my heart then and I and I forsaken him and I gone down that dirty road and and then meeting up with my wife again and when she asked me you want to go to church I'm like I mean, what do I have to lose? I think, let's go. And so, you know, I was, um, came to church. I gave my life back to the Lord here at Quiet Bible Church. They had altar call. And, um, and then the addiction slowly lifted. And then we were like, well, we got to do this right. And like she said, we went from November to meeting to uh, March being married. <laughs> And yeah, a lot of people were like stunned by that, but we knew that if we're gonna if we're going to live in live in God's love, we need to do it right. Do it right. Yeah, exactly. So, so that was um, that was pretty much our story. And like, <laughs> we're still going. Yeah, we're still going. Still raising kids. See, I told you that it's a good thing she came. <laughs> but yeah, and I and I thank thank you all, church, for being very supportive and and being here every every Sunday. And um, many more to come. Amen. Amen. I'd like to invite Gino to come on up. Standing's better. I put stools up here. Nobody wants stools. I'm going to sit. Now we're the same height. <laughs> Gino, what does it mean to you that you encountered Jesus and, and he brought you back to life? So, let me tell my story. Yeah. 
back in 2015, I lost my fiance. Her name was Grace Padilla. And I was angry. I didn't want to live. I was mad at the world. I was mad at God. Because I thought the person that I wanted to be with forever was taken away from me. So the only thing that was in my mind was that I was blaming God. But you know one thing about God? He hears all things. He understands you. And when I was lowest on my low, something bad happened to me. February 2016, I just come back from work. And I drove into the driveway. I was so tired. I had this terrible headache. When I woke up, I was in the car. I couldn't move my arm. My dad had passed away 11 years ago from a stroke. But I realized, oh shoot, this is the same thing that's happening to me. So I'm panicking, and I'm like, how do we get help? So I try to honk the horn, right? But my right arm doesn't work. So my car doesn't actually work until you put the key in and turn the thing in. So I'm like, how the heck am I going to get some help? Well, I stuck the key in from the left side, stuck it in, turned the thing. I start blaring hard. It's like honking, honking. Lights are going on. And everybody's around. And like, what's going on? You know? Well, so my mom wakes up. She's like, get in the house. I'm like, mom, don't panic. I'm having a stroke. She comes out. She starts panicking. I tell her, don't worry, it's gonna be okay. They take me in an ambulance to Wilcox. But at Wilcox, uh, the nearest hospital, KVMH, their, their ICU is already booked. So they take me to the Wilcox. They don't have a stroke doctor, but they diagnose me for a stroke. They give me the medication to stop the bleeding. I had what they call is a ischemic stroke. It's the blood was just bleeding and bleeding. The medication was helping, but there was still a slight chance that I could bleed to death. They medevaced me to Oahu. My mom can recount this. Because at this point, I, w I had blacked out. They take, uh, they take me to Queens Hospital, and there's several patients. There's four patients. The first patient passes away. Second patient passes away. The third patient, my mom is freaking out. It's like, please don't, don't, don't let him go. And then they ask her, 
we could possibly operate, but it would probably be that I would have some kind of mental disability. Which you know, doctor scrubbing, right? So the doctor scrubbing, and the, the nurses are doing the vital checks and getting me prepped for surgery. And a miracle happened. My bleeding stopped. But even better yet, something happened to me. I got to go to heaven for 40 seconds. 40 seconds. For many of you, for me, it was something, a miracle. 40 seconds, I got to see heaven, what it's like. So heaven is as perfect, as wondrous, where nothing matters because you're in the presence of God and you can hear the glory of God. You can hear all the things that are happening around you. And it doesn't work in earthly sense. It, it happens in a heavenly sense, in God's time. But the most beautiful thing that happened, I got to see my dad. I got to see Walter Inez. Walter Inez had a message to tell, to share with his dad and mom and his family. That everything is gonna be okay. The greatest thing, which was a miracle, was I got to see people who I thought was old. They're all 20 year olds. <laughs> I got to see people who I never met. They were my family. Probably your family. I got to see Jesus talking and teaching. I got to see the angels. I got to see the Heavenly Father. I got to see wonders upon wonders. But it better yet, I found my faith. The following year, I was baptized. And I joined Quiet Bible Church. For this next testimony, we're not going to bring them on stage. We're just going to adjust the camera so we can see them. But I have asked Pat and Max to share Max's story of how Jesus brought him back to life. Amen. Good morning. Happy Easter. Happy Easter, Happy Easter Pat. So for those of you that don't know me, my name is Pat Gonzalez, and this is my son. Mac Gonzalez. <laughs> Maxwell Gonzalez. So um, four, almost 14 years ago, in September will be 14 years, Max was in a car crash right out here, right down here in the truck lane. Um, but prior to that, the life he was living was not the right life to be living. He was making a lot of bad choices. 
um, and had a lot of detrimental effects. So it's probably about four or five years, I think, he was living that way. Um, but he was brought up in church. I was brought up in church, so we have the foundation. Um, <laughs> yeah, Pastor Murph. So um, he was doing, you know, a lot of drinking, a lot of drugs, staying out all night, getting fired from every job he ever had, wrecking cars, DUIs, um, AA three times, court ordered, just all kinds of stuff. And I would like to say that um, I handled that with grace and poise and no anger, no raised voices and lots of prayer. And that's just not the truth. It was a bad time at our house. Um, but after the wreck... And they really thought Max was dead. I've spoken to one of the attending officers, and he thought he was dead. He was like, I just didn't think there was any point. We thought he was dead. And that's the whole story in itself. It's going to be hard. There's so much stuff that has happened, and God has paved the way, and he's opened so many doors, and he's done so much in this 14 years that is just ridiculous. And I cannot say it all in six to eight minutes. Um, <laughs> But anyway, he was taken in. Uh, I got the call. I was in Lihui. My husband was on this side. We didn't know what hospital he was going to. We got a call from a family friend because my brother-in-law at the time was in the police force. Um, your, your nephew's been in a wreck. Let your brother know. So he called me, and I said, well, I'll stay over here. You stay over there, and we'll see which hospital they take him to because it was halfway, right? So they take him to Wilcox. I show up. They metal vacuum out. My husband got there right before we got in the um, ambulance to go to where the plane is to give me an overnight bag. We didn't know what it was. When I saw Max in ER, I looked at him. He looked perfect. You couldn't tell he had been in a wreck. He was laying there. He was unconscious. He was on a ventilator, and I'll never forget as long as I live. I asked the doctor, how come he's on a ventilator? He said, because his brain is so bad, we don't know if it'll tell his lungs to keep breathing. So I was like, wow. <laughs> so, of course, as soon as I got the call from my husband, though, I started praying. I started praying right there in Kmart. That's where I was at. I started praying, and I prayed the entire time. I prayed in the, in the emergency room. We got on the plane. They put me in the front with the pilot, which don't normally happen. There was three attending um, attendants, medical attendants, and normally don't have the family sit in the back, but they didn't think he was going to survive to make it to Oahu. So they put me in the front with the pilot. And I remember him telling me, don't touch anything. And I was like, crazy. But I thought, you're not, I'm not going to touch anything. So I prayed the whole way. We got there, got an ambulance, went to Queens. I prayed the whole way, and then they separated me from him. So I, I, I wasn't sure. You know, I didn't know what was going on. They kept him in emergency. They got him upstairs to ICU, to the uh, neurological center. And I was waiting for my husband to come. He had to get on a plane to come, him and our youngest boy. And I remember sitting in that waiting room praying and praying and praying, and they came out and they told me, two of the doctors, you need to sign this paper. We have to drill a hole in your son's head or he's going to die. So I was like, well, yes, absolutely. <laughs> so I was like, absolutely, do it. Um, so they did. He was in ICU for three and a half weeks. He was in a coma for three weeks. He was in Queens for five and a half months. He was in rehab for a month and a half. And all during that time, God just showed himself and showed himself and showed himself. And the first two weeks, it was like we were sitting in the room quiet. He was hooked up to so many machines. We knew all the noises. We knew when they weren't right. His tent was going up, and it was going down, and they had him on all kinds of stuff. And I remember they came in, and they asked us at one point, what are your wishes if he doesn't make it? Because we didn't know if he was going to make it. He was that close to dying. He was very close. They all thought he was going to die. They didn't think he was going to make it. Um, but prayers, and we had people that came, and people prayed. And two weeks, I remember it. I was praying, and God said, he's going to be okay. 
I'm, I'm, he's going to be okay. Now, he didn't say he's going to be okay fast. <laughs> he said he's going to be okay. So um, I felt more, I was calm at that point. I still didn't want to leave him. I did not want, my husband would have to force me to go out of the room. And I told him, I said, because if I leave, I'm afraid when I come back and I touch him, he's going to be cold and it'll be the last time I ever touch him warm. And that was really hard for a mom. So anyway, I stayed, um, I stayed there for six months with him on Oahu. My husband was there for the first four weeks. And then um, he would come back and forth, back and forth. And again, God just did so much stuff. They were trying to put him out of Queens after two months. And they're like, we can't do any more for him. He's got to go. And I would argue with him. I remember that poor lady, her name was Eunice, the discharge planner. And she, she hated to see me because I was like, no, you're not going to let him. He's not going. And she's like, well, I found this care home. Can I stay with him? No, well, he's not going. I couldn't leave him because he couldn't do anything. It was like having a six-foot, 150-pound infant newborn, brand new, but he couldn't do anything. He could not even track you. He couldn't track a finger. He couldn't talk. He couldn't eat. He had a feeding tube. He had a trach. No, he couldn't sit up by himself. When they finally got him to sit up, you have time in the chair because he would fall out. He couldn't do anything. Um, I remember the first time we got so excited, they finally let us take him out of the room. We had to put him in a cardiac chair, time in, and they would let us take him on the balcony. We couldn't go downstairs. We could go on the balcony. So my husband and I took him out, and the first time that we saw him actually see something, we were so excited. A helicopter flew over, and he, and we just started, yay. <laughs> the two of us were just like crazy. He actually he saw it. He saw it. Um, and then I re he, you know, he couldn't talk, which now he doesn't stop. You, you guys know him. <laughs> But I remember, you know, God was so gracious again, the very first thing that he ever let him say. And we got, finally got to a point where we could take him downstairs. And then they would let, him, let us take him off the lanai and we could go out into the grounds. And I was there by myself with him. My husband had to come back to work. And I'd taken him out. And we were out there. And I'd talk to him all the time. Talk, talk, talk. And then the first thing that God let him say was, I love you, Mom. <laughs> so, of course, I called my husband. I was like, guess what? Guess what Max just said? Um, but normally it was yes or no, and it was not normally appropriate to answer. It was, you know. But he had, um, Max had severe traumatic brain injury. He didn't have any injuries to his body except for a broken collarbone, which healed in a little cut in the back of his neck. But that was, it was superficial. So what he had was severe traumatic brain injury. He had to the front part of his brain, to the middle part, and the back part. And his entire brain had rips and tears in it. So it affected everything. It affected his, the things that we don't think about, the part of the brain that tells us to breathe and tells us to balance and tells us to see. Um, it affected that. It affected the middle part of his brain. It affected his emotions. It affected everything. So he could do nothing. Um, and I remember Dr. Kent Yamamoto would come over. He was the physiatrist from rehab, and he would come over, great man. He would come to see Max. He would come see all the patients to see if they were qualified to go to rehab. And he would come in and he would rapid fire. Max, how you doing, Max? <laughs> Lift up your finger. Stick out your tongue. Do this, do that. And Max wouldn't do any of it. And he told me one day, I don't think he's going to be appropriate to go. And I was like, well, you don't know what you're talking about. He is going to be appropriate to go. I said, maybe if you would slow down on your commands and give his hurt brain a few seconds to see what you're talking about, <laughs> it would work. He came in two days later and he said, Max, lift up your thumb. And he waited. And Max lifted up his thumb. <laughs> I was like, yes. <laughs> yeah. 
So he goes to rehab. I stayed there with him for two weeks. And then it was, and even that, it was another miracle because every, my husband would come. We would go to the hotel. I would cry. Every time we'd leave, I'd cry. He can't do for himself. He can't talk for himself. He can't tell me what he needs. How can I leave him? And I would cry. And then I was like, I'm going to have to go back to work eventually. So after two weeks, I said, God, please help me. I have to leave him, but please help me. And so my husband came, and then Friday night we left to go hotel. I cried. Saturday night, I cried. Sunday came, and it was time to get on the plane. Not a tear. God gave me the biggest peace I have ever had in my heart, was able to leave him. And he was fine. And they wanted to kick him out after a month, and I fought that. And I was able to talk to the head, and God did it again. He paved the way. I was able to talk to the head of his insurance company, the head, the very head person. And she agreed to give him two more weeks. So she gave him two more weeks, and then he came home. And he's been getting better ever since. He's been in therapy for ever since he's been home. Every year he gets approved for therapy. But he got home and he couldn't, he couldn't do anything. He couldn't sit up. He couldn't go to the bathroom. He couldn't dress. He, could, he couldn't even sit himself up. And he couldn't transfer. So we had to learn how to do all of that. Everything. <laughs> so <laughs> well, we had to learn that. Then you got better. So then he started, going to, he started going to outpatient therapy, and I remember the first time they ever had him stand up with his walker. And she said, oh, I'm going to have him stand up with his walker. And I said, he can't do that. She said, yes, he can. And he stood up, and I cried again. I was like, oh, praise God. He's, he's, it's going to happen. And, and God has had, he's given people in our life to give us word that he is going to bring about a complete and total healing for Maxwell. And I believe that, you know, he didn't say it was going to be fast, but he said it's going to happen, and I believe it, and he is going to be healed. I believe. What a, what a testimony of miracles. But as everyone who's a part of our church can see, God did not just restore Max's body, he restored his spirit. Because yeah. nobody in this church worships like Max worships. Yeah. His love for the Lord and his passion are amazing. So hallelujah for that. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> yes, Lord. Amen. He is alive. He is risen. Amen. Well, I just want to take a few minutes and open up the Word of God and just look at this idea of back to life. I'm just going to talk until my voice is gone. So might be 10 minutes, might be an hour. <laughs> just kidding. Just kidding. I just want to talk for a few minutes. You can find your sermon notes in your bulletin. They're attached to this video on our website. They're also attached to this podcast if you're listening to the audio. The German theologian Wolfhart Pannenberg said this, The evidence for Jesus' resurrection is so strong that nobody would question it except for two things. First, it's a very unusual event. And second, if you believe it happened, you have to change the way you live. If you believe it happened, you have to change the way you live. What does that mean? Well, Timothy Keller wrote this. If Jesus rose from the dead, then you have to accept all that he said. 
If he didn't rise from the dead, then why worry about any of what he said? The issue on which everything hangs is not whether or not you like his teaching, but whether or not he rose from the dead. Because if he rose from the dead, then his word is true. And if his word is true, then we should change everything in our lives to surrender to that word. Amen? So my message today is this. Because Jesus came back to life, he can now bring us back to life. That's it. Because he rose, we can rise. Because he walked out of that grave, everything that was dead in our lives can come back. We're going to read from Ephesians chapter 2 today. It'll be on the screen or you can follow along in your Bible if you like. Let's read this passage of scripture. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them we too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves it is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. The first thing this passage teaches us quite simply is that sin kills. Jesus said the devil comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And sin is one of the greatest instruments he uses to do that. Sin kills everything. It kills our spirits and our hearts. It kills our minds. It kills our hopes and our dreams. It kills relationships. Come on, even if we can put on a show that everything else looks good in our lives, we know that we're dead inside. And in verses 2 and 3, Paul really laid out what sin is and what it looks like. And, and as, as I was studying and it really spoke to me that it's just set in opposition. That sin kills, but God has a better way for us. So in verse 2, he said that we lived according to the course of the world. And so what is sin? Sin is living by the world's standards. And if we were to compare that, it would be that we live by the world's standards instead of living by God's standards. He says that we lived according to the prince of the power of the air, which is another name for the devil, which means when we're in sin, we're under the control of the devil. Right? We are slaves to sin. Right? This whole idea of freedom. No, we're slaves to something. When we live in sin, we're slaves to the devil. 
When we come to know Jesus, we make ourselves slaves of our Lord and Savior. And so when we're living in sin, we're under the control of the devil, which means we're either controlled by the devil or we're led by the Holy Spirit. We're living in one way or another. In verse 3, he said that we go after the lusts of the flesh, indulging our mind and our flesh. So I translate that, we do whatever we want to, right? We do whatever feels good. We do whatever pleases us. Whatever our longing is, we just do whatever we want. And the contrast is, do we live to do what we want or do we live to do what God wants? And in the last one, just those last few words in verse 3, Paul wrote, even as the rest. So to me, that means doing what everyone else is doing. When we're just following the crowd. When Andrew and Rachel were little, we would have this conversation all the time. You know, well, my friends at school did this or... You know, this family said that, and I would always just repeat the same thing. We don't do what everybody else does. Even if it's a family member, even if it's grandpa or auntie or uncle, we don't do what everybody else does. Paul said when we're living to indulge the lusts of the flesh, we're just like everybody else. Contrast that doing what everybody else does versus we are a unique chosen people called to be set apart. Right? So Paul gives this description of sin and then he gives a description of God. And he says, God, because of his great love with which he loved us, Paul says that God was rich in three things. First, he said he was rich in mercy. What is mercy? Mercy is not getting what we deserve. We deserved a certain punishment, but God gave us mercy. Right? In verse 3, Paul said that when we were lost in our sin, we were children of wrath. What does that mean to be children of wrath? Well, even though we talk about God being loving, God is also holy. And because he is holy... There is a wrath that comes against sin. And so when we are lost in our sin, we are children of wrath. The wrath of God is coming upon us. But it says that God, because of his love, is rich in mercy. Mercy means not getting what we deserve. We deserve the wrath of God. We deserve the punishment. But God didn't give it to us. He held it back. And then in verse 7, he said that God was rich in grace. What is grace? Grace is getting more than we could ever deserve. So God in his mercy held back what he did deserve. And then what we did deserve. And then God in his grace gave us more than we could ever deserve. We could never earn it. We could never be worthy of it. There's not enough good deeds we could do to wash away the stain of sin upon our lives. And yet God loved us anyway and gave us a forgiveness that we could never deserve. He gave us a gift that we could never earn. And the third thing Paul said that God was rich in was kindness. He was rich in kindness. And we actually read this verse 
I think just last Sunday, Romans 2, 4. Or do you think lightly of the riches of his kindness and tolerance and patience, not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance? Why do we find ourselves in a place where in our sin, and we heard so many amazing stories today of people and places of addiction, places of adultery, places of sexual sin, uh, places of rebellion against family, places of being angry at God and depressed and tormented. All of these people in these dark places made a decision to repent. Repent is a fancy word that just means turn 180 degrees. Whatever direction you're going, turn and go the other way. What led all of these people in these dark places to repent? It was the kindness of God. That they saw that God was good even when they were not. That God was faithful even when they were not. That God had never given up on them even if everybody else had. The kindness of God leads us to repentance. And so, yes, we have a choice. We can stay in our sin. And when we stay in our sin, we will be children of wrath. And God in his mercy has held his wrath back. But there will come a time when his mercy runs out. You know, in the Old Testament, God gave the Canaanites 400 years to repent of their sin. And then finally, after 400 years, God is like, I can't hold back this wrath any longer. And the wrath of God was poured out on the Canaanites. God holds back his mercy, but eventually we're going to experience the wrath of God because we have chosen to stay in our sin. Or we can see the kindness and the goodness of God and how he loved us by sending his son Jesus to die for us to take the punishment for our sin. And when we realize that, we would repent and we would say, I don't want to live that life anymore. I want to give my life to Jesus and experience this great gift that God has given me. Jesus went to the cross and he died and he was buried in a tomb. But as we just heard, three days later, he walked out of that tomb alive, victorious over death. And so the resurrected Christ is now God's gift to us to bring us back to life. And so everywhere where sin has brought death in our life, Jesus is here to bring it back to life. Come on. He brings us back to life spiritually. Right? We just read in verse 5 that even though we were dead in our sins, he brought us back to life spiritually, right? Jesus said, you must be born again. And Nicodemus was confused by that. He said, what do you mean? Am I supposed to crawl back into my mother's womb and be born again? And Jesus said, no, you've already been born physically. Now you need to be born spiritually. You need to come alive in your spirit. And I am the only way that you can do that. And so he brings us back to life spiritually. He brings us back to life mentally. Romans 12, 2 says, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. 
Come on, when we're lost in sin, our mind is in a dark place. The Bible describes it as having a veil over our eyes. We can't see the truth. We can't see clearly the life that we've been called to or designed for. And when we come to know Christ, the veil is lifted, and God brings our minds back to life so that we can hear truth and understand truth and receive truth. Come on, he brings us back to life relationally. You heard a beautiful testimony from Christelle, whose life had been marked by so many relationships that just brought death and abuse. And now, come on, he brought her back to life relationally, and she's in this amazing marriage and and is experiencing all of this love. He brings us back to life for our hopes and dreams. Come on, everything that has died. Everything you used to dream about, everything you used to long for for your life, the very things that God created for you and wrote down in the pages of your life before you were even born. And when we chose to go our own way, all of those hopes and dreams died. And God says, I'm bringing them back. I'm going to restore the time that was wasted. I'm going to restore the dreams that were lost. And finally... He brings us back to life for all eternity. Yes, we're going to die. Unless Jesus comes back before we die, we're going to die. But because Jesus came back to life, we can be confident that when we die, we're going to come back to life. As Gino said, all in bodies of 20-year-olds. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. And we're going to live for all eternity. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. John 6.40, for this is the will of my Father, Jesus says, that everyone who beholds the Son and believes in him will have eternal life, and I myself will raise him up on the last day. So even when we die in this life, Jesus is going to raise us up in bodies that are going to live forever. And because he rose, we know that we're going to rise and we're going to be seated with him in heavenly places. Let me have the worship team come back up today. The old Episcopal theologian Robert Farrar Capon said this, God did not come to love the lovable and improve the improvable, but to raise the dead. Come on, Jesus is not a self-help technique. He didn't come just to make our life a little bit better. He didn't come to give us six techniques of, of how to be more successful. No, Jesus came because we were dead, and he came to brought us back to life. He came to do something new in our lives. And, and I can testify along with everybody else who has already testified today. I was lost in drugs and in addiction and in a life of crime on the streets in San Diego. I was in and out of jail. I had thrown away all the potential of my youth and everything that everybody thought I was going to be until everybody had given up on me except for one friend who shared Christ with me. And at the age of 22 years old, after getting out of jail for the third time and having failed at everything I had put my hand to, I came to know Jesus Christ, and he brought me back to life. 
And he brought back to life all of that hope and potential and all of the great things that I wanted to do in my life. He brought me back to life relationally as I went from having so many sinful, broken relationships to being able to marry a, a, a woman who kept herself holy and pure her whole life just for me. Come on, he brought me back to life so that I don't have to live in the slavery of sin anymore, but I live in the glory of God. He brought me back to life. Thank you, Jesus. Come on, give him praise. Thank you, Jesus. Let me have our altar ministry team just come forward. And I know it's a little tight here in front of the tables, but we'll find some room. If you need prayer today, I want to invite you to come forward for prayer. If there is something in your life that has died, if there is something that sin has killed in your heart, in your relationships, in your purpose, in your dreams, if there's just a broken part of you that you need to see healing in, come on, if you need physical healing, come on, he heals. I had no voice last night, and here I am preaching the gospel on Easter Sunday. If you need any prayer today, I want to invite you to come forward. Find any of these folks and they will pray for you and believe God with you. And so after we pray for a minute, we're just going to sing. I want to go back to back to life again. I want to sing it one more time because that's what this day is all about. And that's what we're going to rejoice in. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Jesus, thank you so much for coming back to life. Thank you so much for paying the price for us. Thank you for showing the love of God in such tangible ways in our life. Thank you for your kindness that draws us to repentance. Lord, I pray for everyone here today that, Lord, they heard something they needed to hear from every testimony, from the teaching of the Word, whatever it was that every person today heard something that they needed to hear, that, Lord, you would minister to every heart. And our prayer today, Lord, is anything that we have held back from you Lord, I pray that we would bring it forth today. We would bring dead things to the altar, and Lord, you would bring them back to life. Thank you for that, Jesus. We give you all the praise in your mighty name. Amen. Please come now. Come for prayer. Come. Jesus, Jesus.